millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. on the air live. Isn't that great? Uh, welcome, everybody, our amazing studio audience. This is one of my favorite studio audiences we've ever had. Some of my favorite people in this room are here. There we go. So I was, I, you know, so live, we are live from the community room of the Cedarburg Public Library. This is the Jack Henke Show. It's uh, 60 minutes of lunchtime infotainment. Anyone bring their lunch? Anyone dining today? Because we would check on the menu and, you know, uh, we're, okay, all right. Next time, bring your lunch. Plus, we have commercials, too. Really good commercials. Today's uh, Jack's guest will be John Arcuri of Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge, New York Times bestselling author Leslie Kagan. Uh, we have an interview, a taped interview that we did yesterday with uh, soulful jazz singer Tony Desaire. This guy's really good. And he's in town, like tonight. He's probably at the airport, and hopefully he's beating the storm. Right. And our, res- our regular, our resident musicologist and jingle master, Terry Sweet. Anything but regular. <laughs> I'm sure he had a high-fiber <laughs> breakfast. And uh, musical guest, final folks. So here we are, folks, and here is the man who is mostly certified by the Kankakee, Illinois Mail Order School of Talk Show Hosting. They'll send his diploma once the check clear, clears. Uh, your host in mind, Jack Hankey. Everybody, there he is. <laughs> Thank you. Star-studded studio audience here. We got Mark Nielsen, Mr. Rock and Roll, is here in the front row. Everybody's sitting like they're in church. No, the front row is empty, so no, no sermons today. You guys got it. This is a big day. This is we made it to week number two, and they haven't pulled us yet. <laughs> what do you think? That close that close. It's such a big shoe that uh, we are not going to have, I know you're going to be sad, there's going to be no monologue at the beginning of this one. We're going to jump right into our, with our guests um, because we have some really great guests today and we want to share their knowledge and their fun and their rips on each other. Correct? Silence. I thought we were going to rip on you, yeah. not each other. No, no, yeah. no. Yeah. This, is, this is the guest roast, not the, <laughs> not the host roast. <laughs> the most. So we're going to start with John Arcuri who is the president of the board of directors of Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge. And I first met John when he was a ruthless 
coach in the girls' 6th, 7th, and 8th grade <laughs> recreation basketball league here in Cedarburg. He was something else. And uh, actually, after he was being a jerk for, what, two years we knew each other? We actually became friends. I was friends. a jerk for three years okay. back then. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I didn't want to minimize your accomplishments. Um, we hit it off and have kept in, in contact ever since. And then John um, became involved with an organization that is near and dear to our hearts, Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge. And um, John, for people who aren't familiar with Mr. Bob's, can you tell us about the organization and what you do. Yes, absolutely. Be glad to. But I also want to acknowledge one other person out there in the audience. The greatest point guard in the history of Cedarburg uh, rec uh, basketball, Margot Hanke. <laughs> it was her coach. Yes. <laughs> she, she was on our team one year, the year you and I coached together, and then I had to coach against her. You used one, one word to describe Margot. What would it be? Tenacious. <laughs> he always said that about her. She smiled. Tenacious. She, with the, with, the, with the most beautiful smile. So, Margot, <laughs> it's awesome to see you again. Mr. Bobs. Yes. Uh, yes, I've, I've been involved with Mr. Bobs Under the Bridge for the past six years. It, and it's, it's what I picked up after hanging up my coaching whistle, by the way. So I was just looking for something productive to do in my life. And uh, the good Lord put me at the same church picnic table as Bob and his wife Sue and we got talking Bob, one, Bob Burmeister, Bo, Bob Burmeister right. sorry yep. thank you yep. and his wife Sue and we got to talking and uh, he just spoke with such passion about uh, what he's doing in the homeless community and um, after that conversation uh, I just asked him I, Bob do you need any help what can I do to help and he said well I could use another driver and that was six years ago, and it's just been a, a wonderful experience for me. What Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge is and what they do is it's an outreach to the homeless community. And so what that means is um, the, the, the way we administer our, our services is, um, I'll just walk you through a typical week is, uh, it starts Thursday evenings at Advent Lutheran Church where a group of volunteers uh, works to fill up. We have a straight truck uh, that's attached to a 20-foot trailer, and they, we just fill that to the brim with clothes that have been donated to the church, uh, clothes and hygiene items. And then every Saturday morning, come rain or shine or wind chill, whatever the weather brings. It's going to be great tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, it is. It's going to be a good one yeah. tomorrow. So we, you'll find us down at Kosciuszko Park in Milwaukee, this, uh, South Milwaukee. And uh, we're met with another, the truck drives up at 8 o'clock, and it's met by another group of dedicated volunteers who helps just lay out, unpack the truck and lay it out uh, for the homeless group that's, that's meeting us down there. And, and on any given Saturday morning, we'll see between 100 to 150 of what Bob calls his friends. And, and we take the lead from Bob, and, and he, that's just not a, a label that he's putting on. Uh, the people that we're serving. Bob, Bob knows these individuals, and he cares about them. He loves them, and, and we just take uh, the lead from Bob. And it's really beautiful the way he interacts and, by extension, the way we get to interact with these people that uh, really have had a, a struggle in life. And 
Excuse me, John, if yeah. I could just add yeah. about Bob himself. Yeah. If none of you ever met um, Bob Burmeister, he's a dynamo. I mean, he's like a, a moving barrel of caring <laughs> and loving. And what he does is, when he was a kid, he grew up in Milwaukee. And uh, he would go on his walk to school, and on his way to school, he would see people who were hungry or needed something. And as a kid, he, he started making extra peanut butter and jelly sandwiches at his house to give to those people on the way to school. So this started a long time ago. And it always stayed with him. And Bob does not do anything halfway. When he's in, he's all in. So he started going by himself in to find the homeless people in Milwaukee. He would climb under bridges where they lived. That's how they, the name came. And Mr. Bob was what the ho his homeless friends called him. So the nickname stuck. So that's why everybody refers to him as Mr. Bob. Um, but he's a really something else. And his wife, Sue, is lovely and also an energetic dynamo. And together they formed quite a duo and started this. So this started, just the two of them got more organized. He got to know the police well enough in Milwaukee that they agreed on a location that they could give out mm -hmm. without interference, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Work with the homeless people so the cops know not to, that this isn't something crazy going on every weekend. Sorry, I just wanted to give no, a little background. No, 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 absolutely, and thank you for that. And, yeah, it, it, uh, Bob has always had just a, a place in his heart for the homeless. He, he just, um, as a child, as you said, he would make these peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, and he was just kind of fascinated about how, how does that work? How does homelessness work? And how, what does that mean? And um, ever since then, he's just had this place in his heart were just a total outpouring. So y yes, uh, that's the background. And 12 years ago, they started Mr. Bob's Under the Bridge. It's a 501c3 charitable organization. And uh, it was just he and Sue for the longest time just building uh, backpack, backpacks, care packages for uh, this homeless group that he would uh, deliver to the places under the bridge. And then it got to the point where he had a few volunteers uh, and they established a place in the park where now the, the homeless crowd would come, uh, gather every Saturday morning. So that's, that's 12 years later where we are is we have um, just a, a whole host of dedicated volunteers, some regulars that we can count on uh, week in and week out, and then that's supplemented by corporate vo uh, volunteers as well as just individuals that have uh, heard about the Mr. Bob's mission and just want to want to get involved. So that's that's what it's turned into now. And and we expect tomorrow morning to have, in spite of the weather that's coming, we, what is it, three, four, five, six inches of snow, we, we fully expect to see a hundred plus people there at the park tomorrow morning. And anybody can help Mr. Bob's, correct? I mean, if they'll take you, a ruthless <laughs> wrecked basketball coach, whose head will almost explode every time. It, yeah, a, a yeah. I, I was I was the rehab project for them. So yes, they, yes. No, uh, we're we're we uh, have been blessed with so many dedicated volunteers, but we are always, uh, you know, just for the long term sustainability, and that's how we're thinking about this: is setting ourselves up for the long run. Is we're always looking for more volunteers. So uh, we'll, we'll never have enough. Okay, and we'll so, never stop looking. So you can volunteer, you can donate. Yes. And it's at mrbobsunderthebridge.org, is that right? Ding, ding, ding. Very right. well. See, the yeah, third Jack, beer helped yes, last yeah. night. <laughs> so um, that's good. And I want to talk about last last year, you had a major accomplishment. Uh, when we when you were on Liveish at Fiveish last year, you were talking about raising funds for the uh, portable shower trailer. Yeah, and yeah. And the idea was to make sure if, if you don't get have an opportunity to take a shower or anyone, 
can you imagine how you feel after a day or two? Can you imagine a week or two or a month without a shower, how you don't feel like a person? So in order to combat that, Bob, who was went down to Katrina way mm -hmm. back when in New Orleans, was very impressed with the FEMA uh, shower trailers, and it was his goal to get one for Mr. Bob's, and you accomplished that. Yeah, yeah, and that was a re really a major accomplishment for our little organization. We are so happy to be able to do that and to be able to offer that as uh, an additional service, if you will, um, on, a, on uh, a Saturday morning. And so what this is, it's a, it's a mobile shower trailer. There are four stalls on this shower trailer, fully enclosed with four um, separate stalls, private stalls, four doors on the trailer. You hook, hook it up to the truck and, and we'll pull that down. Now it's a little more difficult uh, during the winter months, but Bob has still brought that uh, down to some homeless missions in the city of Milwaukee. Uh, on uh, some Wednesday evenings, just as recently as two weeks ago. So we're still using that. But yeah, we went on a major fundraising mission starting in like toward the end of 2018. And um, it, it, this was a $60,000 investment uh, along with another $20,000 truck to pull that trailer. So it, it, those were significant dollars for our organization to raise. But uh, just through the total outpouring of love through um, corporate sponsors as well as countless individuals, we were able to raise those dollars and purchase for cash the trailer and a truck to pull it. And uh, with now we have no debt uh, in the organization. So we feel really, really good about being able to pull that one off. And about, it took us about a year and a half to be able to raise enough funds to pull that off. But we're so thrilled that it happened. Okay, so that was last year. Mm -hmm. What are you gonna do for an encore? Oh, we're, we're gonna continue. You know, one of the, we, we, we talk about the web that um, the Mr. Bob's organization is spinning out there and just the things that, the little surprises that turn up in this web. One, one of them is, if that's um, been just a total joy for me to witness is the youth involvement. We, um, if you're ever concerned about the next generation, uh, people of our age, if you're concerned about the next generation, Those just- Those darn kids. Yeah, those darn kids. You just come to the park on Saturday morning and look at the number of high school students and younger, but really high school students that turn out to um, just lend a helping hand. They just want to be involved. They want to help. And, you, you know, you think about these teenagers, and um, it's 8 o'clock. They're showing up at 8 o'clock, so their alarm is going off probably 6, 6.30 on a Saturday morning. And they got other things to do, better things to do conceivably than... Uh, getting up early on a Saturday morning and coming down to the park. But we've had such um, wonderful engagement from the youth to the point now where we're actively promoting that. Th this is just something that happened organically, and now we want to continue to promote that. We have on our board now, um, every year we have two high school um, youth that participate on our board, and it's not just... Uh, um, a, a position, a title that we give them is they are at very actively engaged. So the what's next is continue to engage the youth that um, has just been a joy to observe. And they're just wonderful, amazing kids that could show up there. Okay, 
the rest of us in this room feel pretty small compared to you, right? Yeah, now. I was just thinking. <laughs> I feel like an incredibly selfish, narcissistic, oh. shallow oh, Wait, did you read right my intro that? for you? Yeah, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes! No jumping ahead. Yeah, okay. oh. oh God. Oh. Uh. Well, that was that was certainly not the intention, but it's but but you know it. The, the old cliche holds up. You get out of it so much more than what you put into it. And um, for me, that is absolutely the case. But you see it, when you see it happening with the high school students, it, it truly is just a, a, an awesome thing to witness. I'm also going to put a disclaimer out there. For any of you who saw John coaching, he had a lot of making up to do. He was on the dark side of the ledger for a long time so this Mr. Bob's involvement is is a way to get up to to <laughs> clean the slate maybe. I have no idea what you're <laughs> talking not. about of course not you're blind with rage but that's fine <laughs> <laughs> so let's hear it for John and Mr. Bob's oh, well, yeah. thank you, Th thank you. It, it's it really is um it's it's an honor to be able to talk about uh, Mr. Bob's it it's um it's just been such a blessing in my life and, and we're glad to be able to do that great Okay, next up is <laughs> Leslie Kagan, uh, a person I met through Rotary, a friend of ours in Rotary, a mutual friend. Courtney Lutz recruited Leslie to be uh, a speaker at a Rotary club, and she got up and she was talking about being a best-selling author, and as a wannabe author, I was like, oh, man, I really, this is cool. I want to meet I never sit at the front table in Rotary, but for some reason I sat at the front table in Rotary, and... Leslie was sit sitting there. She refused to eat any of the food. It wasn't up to her standards. But, uh, right? <laughs> no denial. I don't even remember this. Yeah. You know, um, I don't remember that. Did they have food that oh, day? God. I don't remember yes, that. Yes, well. Okay. And you said I was the one person who looked like I didn't belong in the room, if you recall. Yeah, I did feel that way. So. That was not an endorsement. <laughs> it just meant that, you know, I sort of noticed that you didn't wear the same clothes I, I was, as everybody else. I was else. a sore yeah. thumb. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So just to give you an idea of how helpful Leslie has been to me, um, she's my writing coach and mentor. And last week at the writer's workshop, I said, I was afraid to ask her, what'd you think of the show, the first show? And she said, it was pretty good. It was pretty good. And then she said, you know, there's one thing, though. You, you are n no longer allowed to say the word cool. It's cool. That's cool. Or any derivation there. Or it's very cool. Because yeah. anyone, if anyone in the audience or listening would have been playing a drinking game and had to drink every time <laughs> that you said cool, they would have been rushed to the hospital for alcohol poisoning. So cool shall henceforward be known as the C word. <laughs> so if I say the C word, you'll all know what I mean, but I'm not going to say it. So um, Leslie, uh, I was thrilled to meet her. She wasn't so thrilled to meet me because she didn't know who I was. I was just some guy dressed funny was like, oh, oh I got to talk to you. And she said, well, I didn't feel that way. I thought you played it pretty cool. Well, thank I you. don't know. Thank you. Yeah. There's hope. So um, I asked her if she, we could meet and talk about writing. She goes, well, <laughs> I'm, I said, I'm a writer. And she's only heard that a million times, right? Correct. And so she said, why don't you send me some of your writing samples first, and then maybe we'll get together. So I sent her some of my columns from the news graphic. And then she agreed to meet me at the job house in Cedarburg. And the first thing we sit down, and she goes, oh, when I got your samples, I was so relieved that you didn't suck. And, <laughs> and I, that really was as about as high a compliment as you could give me that's, and have given me. Yeah, yeah, that's about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So with all this background with Leslie, uh, Leslie is uh, a prolific writer and 
pretty good cusser too, um, of which I respect I, both. That's so true, and I'm just like really <laughs> heavily monitoring myself. I'm like in a sweat Especially right now. Especially sitting next to Johnny Angel. Yeah, next yeah, really. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so she has a best-selling author, New York Times best-selling author. How many novels, Leslie? Uh, this is um, the one that's coming out in October is the ninth. And Whistling in the Dark? Is the first. And others in between, many others? There's lots of them between. Yeah. yeah. And um, it, very fascinating. Um, usually it's people confuse you sometimes for a children's book author because you write in a child's voice, but it's not... When you want to explain that, or well, you know, they're coming of age stories, Great. but they're coming of age stories written for adults, right? Um, you know, sort of in the vein. I mean, this is—I uh, <laughs> hate to say this, but it's sort of you know in the vein of *To Kill a Mockingbird*, sort of mm -hmm. that sort of approach, mm -hmm. um, where the storylines themselves are deeper and more complicated and about more um, troubling subject matter sometimes, mm -hmm. but from the viewpoint. Um, and probably the main characters are the children. So they propel the story along, and yet, for instance, in this new one, I tried something a little different. The narrator is actually a 70-year-old woman, uh, looking back at a summer uh, when she was 11. So the narrator herself, as in To Kill a Mockingbird, a lot of people feel that Scout is a kid, um, and she's narrating the novel, but it's not. It's Scout as a grown-up. And I wanted to see how that kind of played out. And I really enjoyed that approach. So I still get to do the kids' stuff, the kids' voices, the kids' perspective, um, because kids are the funniest humans on the face of the earth. Um, there's always some humor in my novels as well, but it's usually pretty dark stuff that, you know, and, and there's always a sense of tension, I think, because these kids are operating on a system, like all kids do, that, hey, what could go wrong? Right. And you as an adult are reading the novel going, oh, man, <laughs> this is such a bad idea. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what this one is pretty much about. And that's Kind of all of them are about, to a certain degree, The Resurrection of a Test Blessing is not. Um, that's a novel about breast cancer, about a woman who, who goes through this um, sort of struggle to come to terms with her life and um, the imaginary friend that befriends her. Very C. <laughs> Thank so, you. So, how, did you, how did you get into writing? I can, I've always written. I don't actually remember a time. Um, when I didn't write. Uh, it was just something that, um, you know, I, I can't ever remember not making up stories in my head um, or getting them down on paper. The first thing I remember really clearly is I wrote a poem in fourth grade. I went to, I'm a Catholic kid. I went to school at St. Saint Sebastian's in Milwaukee. And, and I'm a pretty savvy kid. And I realized they were having a, a whole school poetry contest. And they were giving away a silver dollar to the winner. That was big bucks to me. And I thought, oh, this is, I have to win this. And I wrote a poem, I am the sun, I'm in the sky, and very soon I'll tell you why. God made me and put me there for all of you my light to share. I glow like emeralds in the sky and maybe rubies dipped in dye. I'm very hot, as you well know. God made me just to glow and glow. Now, if you notice, there are many mentions of God within that poem because I realize the more times you mention God, 
I would win. <laughs> Got him on there, your side. There, there, here well, no, I knew those nuns would eat that up. <laughs> I knew it, and I was right, and I won. It's the first one he ever made writing. <laughs> so you were a pro in fourth grade. I was, yep, I was there. So, um, and then I always wrote. I wrote throughout, you know, I was that kid who everyone said, oh, she's going to be a writer when she grows up. That's not what happened at first. I did was writing a lot of comedy. And, but when I was in, I want to say it was about in seventh or eighth grade, my parents took me to see Robert Goulet at the Melody Top. I don't know if, you know, anybody else remembers that. Oh, yeah. But me. 76 and, and Good Hope. Yeah, right? 76 and Good Hope. And when that show started and those opening bars of music, I went, oh, my God, this is what I want to do. And that's what I ended up doing. I became an actress. I started on radio here first in Milwaukee and the old WZMF and then moved out to Los Angeles and worked as an actress for a long time. So here's a question. But still writing. Still writing. Yeah. Of course. So a question you've never been asked before. <laughs> Um, how, what, what advice do you give an aspiring writer? Read. Um, one of the biggest problems I find for writers, I mean, I actually, uh, I don't know where I was the other day, but I actually somebody was talking to me about how much they wanted to be a writer, but, you know, I don't really read. I went, you know, I, it really took, it was hard for me not to slap them because you can't, <laughs> you can't, that's absurd. I mean, it's like being, you know, a musician and saying, well, you know, I don't really listen to music. Well, what do you mean exactly? I mean, that, that's an impossible kind of situation. You need to read and you need to pay attention and you need to be open to what's going on around you and be willing to fail many, many, many times to get f what's in here onto a piece of paper. A lot of people have great ideas for stories and then they start to get them down and they look at them and think, well, no, that's not what I meant to write. Well, because it takes practice. It's a skill set like anything else. Uh, also, the other thing would be to do it every day. I don't care if you have to set aside, you know, all you have to set aside is like five minutes, ten minutes. I write five, five to six hours a day. Um, but that's my job. And I think for most people, if they could just start out something simple, you know, um, write about, I, I mean, I also teach, I teach kids writing as well, and we discuss writing in the schools in Cedarburg. And it's important just to get down what... What's going on with you to gain that perspective, to stand back and look? Um, when you get things down on paper, it's very, very different. It, uh, something sort of magical happens, and it gives you a different perspective about what's going on with you. Um, I think that's crucial. I think everybody should write. I don't think everybody should be an author as apparently most everybody on the planet is now, so <laughs> with the amount of books that I'm seeing. So, yeah. And, and so, okay, to that point, you, you were telling us in our workshop, you teach us not only about writing, but what's going on in the industry. Yes. And self-publishing, and, and what's happening with self-publishing versus traditional publishing? Well, I mean, I started in the olden days when there was only traditional publishing, so you needed to go through a traditional publisher. I'm still published by Penguin Random House. Um, and now my new deal is with Crook and Lane, which is distributed by Penguin Random House. Um, but there was a time where I thought, well, I'm going to try this self-publishing thing. Um, I was just on the cusp of it. I 
didn't have the, the greatest success with it, but by that time, I think I'd missed the boat. You sort of had to hop on early in that, in that experience. And what's ended up happening is because the marketplace has become so flooded with books, it's impossible for readers to find things um, and find people's books. So somebody says, hey, I want to you know, I want to self-publish a book. And if they have huge dollar signs in their heads and imagining a huge audience, that will not happen for them. That Those days are kind of over. That happened for a little bit, a little window of time, but that can't happen anymore. And I think we're starting to see a swing back now to much more traditional publishing. Okay. Um, you mentioned that um, some of your books, and you, you've been published all over the world. You've sold books all over the world. Um, there are a lot of exciting places in the world. You've lived in Los Angeles and New York. What is it about Cedarburg? Why do you live here? Because it's like living in the 50s. <laughs> exactly. It's exactly like living in the 50s to me. I, and I really like that time period. I like the sense also of deep community that's within Cedarburg, it, which is once again a reflection of the way that I grew up, where people know each other and people say hello to each other. And I don't have to be walking down the street like I do in New York or LA thinking, gee, I wonder if that person's gonna stab me. You know, I, you know I, that's not a concern for me when I'm in Cedarburg. Um, I like the look of Cedarburg. I like the, the visual that is Cedarburg. I also just like the whole feel of it. I love, um, I love coming into town. There's rarely a time that I drive, that I don't drive into town and say, God, I am so lucky to live here. And that's how I feel. I will die here. That's how much I love Cedarburg. In fact, this next book is set in a town that bears an uncanny resemblance to Cedarburg. You didn't mean you're gonna die here. Well, not today, <laughs> no. unless I am and I don't know it. Okay. You know, yeah. I could be dying. I don't know. Flop sweat? No, not yet. Okay. Great. Anything else that you would like to talk about writing or yourself or? No, that's your job. I know, but don't, don't I want to me. know. I want to know if you want to help. Is what I'm asking. No, I don't. Okay. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, there's everything. You know, I just. Um, I, you know, it's oh, just wait, a, I got one for you. Oh. <laughs> it, it, you. In one of your first talks I heard you give, you talked about writing a lot of stuff, and when you first put something down on paper, it's not going to be very good. It's like your first draft or anything. But how many, for your first novel, how many letters did you write, submissions did you send out? Okay, well, that's a good, for people, I want, this is a story that I do like to tell, especially to aspiring writers. You're welcome. Um, uh, <laughs> they're... Uh, after I finished my first book, Whistling in the Dark, I finished it and I thought, oh my God, this is really super good. I love this book. This is super good. I'm going to sell this to a publisher and make billions of dollars. This is awesome. The only problem was I had no idea how to do that. Mm -hmm. So I had to figure out that I needed to get a literary agent. Now, I'd been an actress pretty much my entire life and I'd never had a problem getting agents before. I had theatrical agents and voice agents and... I thought, okay, this is going to be a breeze. It turns out that is not the case. Um, I had to learn about the process, and it was grueling. I mean, there's no doubt about this. I, and I like to be honest about when people decide, you know, not to confuse writing with publishing. These are two really, really different things. Mm -hmm. um, and... 
But I was convinced. And so I read, read some books. I learned that I had to write something called a query letter, which is essentially a pitch letter that says, hey, hi, I'm this, and I'd like you to publish my book. Boom. And uh, a literary agent acts as a go-between, um, a writer and the big publishing houses. And that's all there was at the time were the publishing houses. So I had to write these letters, and, and still we're just in the cusp of... You know, there are still people who are only, you know, accepting snail mail submissions, but most of them had gone over to electronic submissions. The fastest I was rejected was 14 seconds. Wow. 14 seconds. That's impressive. That made me laugh, actually, because it was so absurd. <laughs> I went, oh, my God. I guess he has strong feelings. You um, struck a chord. Un unresolved anger or something. So I thought, okay, well, that's okay. Um, I'll just keep at it. I'll just keep submitting and submitting and submitting. And, you know, every writer, every author will tell you horror stories about rejection. That is a thing. That happens. That's part of being a writer, just like it's part of being an actress. Now, I thought I had some chops with rejection because this is the same sort of thing that I had to learn as an actress. You know, you'll get some parts, you won't get others. Um, so I'm going, okay, I'm really good at this. Though. It's not a problem for me. I'm going to be able to bear up under this rejection, no problem. Well, then we got to 20 rejections. And I thought, hmm, oh, well. And then we got to 50, Ooh. 75 rejections, 100 rejections. Now, right about then, I'm thinking, hmm, maybe this isn't that good as I thought. No, well... I kept going, 156 rejections before I actually got a book deal. I was told in so many different kinds of ways, this, this sucks, you know. Um, people would read some of the pages. I would get agents who would want to see the pages, and then they'd read them, and then they'd reject me. I mean, it was, those are the worst. <laughs> because at least the ones who don't even read the pages, you go, okay, fine. But the ones who read it and then reject you... So I think really an important lesson to that, you know, is to remember to all writers, if you want, want this bad enough, it, this is just a mat, this is grueling. It's perseverance. It's really perseverance. And the bottom, very bottom line is complete belief in yourself and your work. That would be good career advice for, for advice for any yeah, but this one is particularly brutal. I mean, it is brutal. You have to, you know, it's weird because um, Terry can tell you the whole thing because the music will agree with me because the music industry is very much the same way. You've got, you know, you're, you're being creative and you're creating this thing that comes from your heart and your soul and your blood and your sweat and your tears. When it is finished, you have to become a ninja. You know, so you're doing two, you're playing two very, very different parts. And then when you do get a book deal, it does not get any easier. It's not as if, oh, I got a book deal, oh, I got a literary agent, I got a book deal. Ah, I can relax. Hey, that's not what happens. Then you begin to fight for your book with the publisher. So it, you know, and then after that, and it gets released, then you have these annoying people on the internet who harass you, you know, and, and say, I just want to tell you one brief review because this is something that people do have to deal with. I got a review when my last book came out that said, <laughs> okay, gave me a one star and then said, this book has too many words. 
<laughs> I went, wow. Okay. And you know, that was it for me. I sort of just don't do that you anymore. Can't, I, I, you can't, can't even look, look at, at him. Yeah, you can't. You can. um, so, yeah. But so a lot of it, you develop skill sets of having to deal with um, the rejection, the um, way to deal with publishers, even some read, irate readers. And there's all sorts of different things you have to learn how to do. Writing itself is pure and beautiful. Publishing itself is not. It's a business. It's a business. Okay, speaking mm. of business, Bulldog, how's that for a seg? Well, we learned a few things in that last segment. My favorite lesson of that segment is if you want to avoid being slapped by Leslie, just tell her you, re <laughs> tell her you read, okay? <laughs> if you're on the street, you're, I'm a reader. I'm a reader. I'll be searching you all for your library. I, I read class. every day. I read every day. <laughs> but what more can we ask at a library station for someone to say, you have to read a lot? So uh, you know, right up there is a, is a great guest. We're going to go uh, to a commercial right now and uh, sell stuff. When we come back, uh, we will play our interview from yesterday with Tony Desaire, uh, who's coming into town. We will have uh, musicologist and all-around nice guy, Terry Sweet. I didn't say that. Oh, I'm sorry. Wrong note. I added that later. So. He's a badass. <laughs> All right. There we go. And we'll have a musical guest, uh, the final folk. Come on back, folks. We'll be here, too. All right. And we're back to the Jack Hankey Show. I just wanted to thank the, the studio audience, world-famous accountant Dick Diefenbach is here, and Mark Nielsen, who is one of the shining stars of CPL Radio, has the rock and roll show. Is it all oldies, Mark? Or? Uh, 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. Okay, yeah. so 50s through the 80s. Four decades. Four decades of rock and roll. Every Saturday night, um, CPL has got quite a wide array of shows that Bulldog has helped to bring to the fore. So uh, everybody else, keep tuning in. There's great stuff on CPL. And speaking of which, yesterday uh, we had the opportunity to speak with Tony Sedaire. And the biggest problem, what's oh, Desaire? See, I just did it. And the reason I did it is, Leslie, your fault, you got me started on David Sedaris. And so I love that author now. And I was trying oh, the whole time through the interview, I want to say, don't say this, don't say Sedaris, don't say, don't say Sedaris. So I just said, Tony, <laughs> solve that. But he was a really, he was really gracious. He found the time to talk to us. He's going to be at the CPAC tonight. And for people in the audience here, we're going to be giving away some tickets to Tony's show tonight. Fantastic venue and a great singer in the, the vein of Terry Connick Jr. and Harry um, Connick and Michael Bublé. Yeah. But as Terry would say, bluesy and, and more soul than those guys. So mm -hmm. he also writes his own music. So here is our interview yesterday afternoon via telephone with Tony Desaire. This is Jack Henke and Jeff Messerman, and we are on the phone very delighted to have as a special guest Tony Desaire, who will be performing tonight at the Cedarburg Performing Arts Center. Tony has performed all over the world, and we're lucky to have him come to our corner, as we say, right here in Cedarburg. Um, Tony, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? It's nice, nice to be on with you guys. <laughs> yeah, this is great. Um, I think one of the first questions we have for you is, do you own a parka? That was the big thing. <laughs> that <laughs> I do. Although I live in Georgia now, but I grew up in upstate New York and uh, made my career in New York City, so I own several parkas. Oh, excellent. Heavily insulated, yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, Tony, you, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, not at all. Well, like I said, I'm, I'm from upstate New York originally and fell in love with music as early as I can remember. I started on violin and 
switched to piano because I really wanted to play Scott Joplin rags. And then I started to discover jazz and singers like Frank Sinatra. And, uh, and then just really, I didn't even have the intention of getting into music as a career, but it just kind of kept pulling me that way. And I, I went to Ithaca College, which is in central New York State. And then I moved to New York City after that with a business degree, not a music degree. And then I, I just kept... I, I kind of told myself I would take it as long as I could, and then I'd get a you know a real job uh, <laughs> when it made sense, and like when I ran out of gigs. And so far, that hasn't happened. That was like twenty years ago. <laughs> oh, excellent! Well, then it's, it's the right choice by far. Yeah. Um, how would you describe yourself as a performer, Tony, for people who aren't familiar with you? Well, I like to. I mean, first of all, I, I came of age in New York City, learning from all the great cabaret and jazz performers uh, that were there that, that, that perform in the very intimate venues and also very big concert halls. So that's what I wanted to be able to do. So I've worked very hard. You know, it's um, not just not just playing songs, but putting on a show and giving people an, an experience that, you know, that uh, they'll hopefully remember for a long time. So um, there's a wide variety of songs in the show. I'll do everything from old school Irving Berlin and Cole Porter songs to some Billy Joel or Prince. I have, I'm a songwriter as well. I've had songs in, in films and a few of my songs have won some awards. So uh, I, I like to keep it surprising and keep it fun. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I, I love it. And I, I, I finally, after all this time, feel like I've gotten really good at doing it. And, um, and yeah, I, I'm, really looking forward to coming to Cedarburg. I've heard good things about it. It sounds like a beautiful venue, so we're going to have a good time. I'm bringing my musicians. I've got a bass player, guitarist, and drummer, so it'll be the four of us on stage. I play piano and sing. And if you're curious to, to hear more of my stuff on YouTube, is uh, I have well over 100 videos on there. So yeah, you, you have some great videos on there. Um, really been enjoying them. But I have to go back to something you said, I think, quite too modestly, as you said, you write some songs. I, I would say, from what we've seen, you write a lot of songs and uh, and won a lot of awards for them. And that, uh, to me, that's really something. I'm a I am a writer myself, not of songs, but of uh, I, I write essays and I write. <clears throat> excuse me, I'm working on. I've just finished my first novel, and oh, that's great. Yes, writers always fascinate me. And what do you? How do you know what you want to write about? when you get a song, do you just get an inspiration or how can you tell us any about that, your process? Yeah. I wish I was more disciplined about it and, and wrote a lot more than I do. I just kind of tend to write when something comes, uh, it just kind of presents itself. But, um, usually I'll have an idea that, uh, it kind of presents itself on the piano first. And then, um, uh, for example, I just wrote a song last month. I, uh, the band and I went to Europe this past, summer and we spent some time in Paris. It was my first time in Paris. So all of a sudden I was motivated to write a song about Paris. So Paris uh, does bring it out of people, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I guess it does. <laughs> so so yeah, and I, I started with a melody that kind of sounded a little bit French to me and then and then then it's really fun when I know that I have something that, that I that I like and and then I think of a lyric idea that is something that I can develop and then you know once once you get kind of, once i know where where i want to take it it becomes fun it's like putting a, a puzzle together i'm sure writing a novel is similar 
Right. It's amazing. And something isn't right. You, you know it, and all of a sudden, something. it's like you have to capture it. It's floating out there. You have to yeah. capture it. And, right. and put it in, and all exactly. of a sudden it, it clicks, almost like a, a safe cracker in the movies or something. They hear that click, yeah. and you're in. So it's very cool. Yeah, it's, it's, really, it's a really fulfilling and rewarding experience when it happens, and it's really frustrating when it doesn't happen. <laughs> right, right. Nothing more frustrating, I would say. Um, well, very cool. What, so you, you just were in Europe, and you've, you've toured all over America, and you've, you've played gigs in New York City. If you had to pick one venue that was your favorite, what would it be and why? Well, that's a good question. You know, I think the, the thing is, is there's so many different types of venues that uh, I've played at this point. And anything from small little jazz clubs that, that seat 50 people to uh, some concert halls that seat 3,000 to some outdoor events. I did an outdoor event in Philadelphia for July 4th a couple of years ago that had an estimated 100,000 people there. Wow. So um, it's uh, it really it's not so much the venue, but when everything is is right, everything is good. Like it's, I'm on a good piano, the sound is good, the audience is really excited to be there, and they you know they they they're ready to, to take in and share the experience of what I want to what I want to share with them. So it's more about how it's going in the moment. I mean the the venue from one night to another can feel different. You know, if I do three shows, I, I just did two shows at Carnegie hall, um, last month for their holiday pops and they were both sold out, but the first show people had some nerves, you know, it was with, you know, the, the orchestra, the audience was, was good, but not quite as warm as the second night felt magical to everyone. So it, it really just depends on, um, kind of the, how the wind's blowing at the moment. So, Tony, uh, Jeff here. Um, your most recent album came out in um, October, it looks like, uh, Lush Life. And right. um, it, I was interested that it you know, debuted at number three on a chart that I wasn't uh, – the traditional jazz charts. And I, liked, I was interested that they call it the traditional jazz charts. Can you kind of break that down a little bit for us? Well, yeah, I think they – you know, it, Billboard, I mean, jazz is a hard thing to classify. Right, uh, right. And it's – and there's a, but there really is kind of a whole different audience for traditional jazz, uh, meaning kind of, really to me that means more when jazz was pop music, classic pop, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, whereas modern jazz is really focused a lot more on, you know, kind of pushing the, the limits of harmonies and and long solos, and it really encompasses a lot. And, and also there's some there's some overlap between those charts, too. Sure. There's, there's some things that show up on both charts. Um, but, you know, for example, Harry Connick Jr. and Michael Buble and, you know, people that are kind of in my category all show up on the, on the, on the traditional charts rather than uh, just the, like the modern jazz chart. Sure. Is it, um, would you be, is it fair to say that it's a good time to be, uh, you know, a practitioner of traditional jazz or does it kind of, uh, you know, what's the state of that, uh, genre today? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's always, there's, I mean, it's, it's funny. I was just speaking to someone else about this pretty recently that there's always every couple of years, some article in a big magazine or like, you know, or like the New York times or wall street journal about how jazz is dying. And it has such a, a small segment of sales. And, but, but really it's, I feel like it's a really good time for it because 
the artists, all my all my friends that were on labels ten years ago, record labels, now are independent, and we can do what we want and get the music to the and, and put it out in a way that people can find it that are looking for it. Sure, so sure. I'd, I'd say about ten years ago, it was very kind of scary for everybody. Is you know the my I was on a a really uh, big independent jazz label, and that's uh, Telark when it became. Um, Telark, yes, and then Concord. Oh, um, oh, sure, so, absolutely. So you know, when it became evident that a lot, of, you know, that that most people wouldn't be having deals anymore, I think a lot of us uh, didn't know what we were going to do. But I, I really just I, I wanted to learn how to make my own music and produce yeah. my own videos. So I've, I've spent the last ten years learning how to become a video producer, audio engineer. I've yeah. got a, a full a full on recording studio in my home with a seven foot Yamaha piano and drum set. So a lot of the videos on my channel are actually produced right here in my house. That's great. Very nice. Very nice. Yeah. It's such an interesting conversation. Uh, when, uh, the movie, uh, La La Land hit and, uh, the traditional versus, uh, new form of jazz was really, uh, just a fascinating, I mean, it gave that whole dialogue a real interesting kick. And when I heard you were on, you're going to be on our show here, I thought, Oh, what a perfect person to ask because it's, uh, you're, you're, you're in the thick of it. Yeah, well, and La La Land, I think, was is, was great to kind of introducing people to kind of some of the concepts of jazz. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people that are in the the jazz part of the business felt it was very oversimplified the way they the way they portrayed it, but it's a film. I've, I've, and it's a work of art. I've, I, I love the movie. Yeah, absolutely. Very, all right, Tony, you're in Cedarburg tomorrow night, and then... I looked ahead to your tour, and I have to ask you: You go from Cedarburg to next one is Omaha, and then you yep. get Hawaii, and then Iowa, right. then back to Iowa. That's a lot of, I mean, nice, nice places all, I'm sure. But um, is that usual that you you zig and zag like that through a tour? Yeah, yeah. There's there's no real rhyme or reason to uh, where I you know where I had. In fact, I gotta update my schedule but um yeah because actually there's there's more in there i'm also going to minnesota and kansas city and there too so that's one thing i've been meaning to do since the new year but since i've been on the road constantly it's, it's been hard to update so right thanks, well, yeah, thanks for the reminder but yeah <laughs> I, there's it's just the way things end up sure working out in fact i'm going to between uh cedarburg and omaha i'm going to Vail, colorado Ah, and, and playing up there in the you know ten thousand feet wow. above the sea level in the freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can you can leave Minnesota off your tour thing. We're in Wisconsin, so we hate those people. You can just <laughs> you can just leave them right off the date. That's fine. <laughs> a little little interstate rivalry here. Um, well, we really appreciate you joining us for a few minutes, Tony, and, and giving us some of your insights. Is there anything? that we didn't ask you that you would like to mention or talk about? Um, no, I, I just, I, I thank you so much for uh, wanting to talk about the show and, and for promoting local arts. And I just want to, if anybody's out there kind of on the edge thinking, you know, that sounds like fun, maybe I should go. I, I say, I, I would love to see you. And I, I, I promise that I'll 
give you a good time. <laughs> if they check out your video, night, night of good music. Yeah, if they check Great. out your video page. I think that sells itself. They'll want to come because it's it's really exciting and the stuff you have over there is fantastic. It's really really great Thanks, stuff. Guys. Yeah, Thank you. yeah, it's groovy. I mean, in a good way. You yeah. know, you really. You get you have to start tapping your toes. It's yeah, great, absolutely great. <laughs> so, oh, thank, thank, thank you. you so much. And uh, are, are you guys going to be at the show? Are you going to be able to come? Or? Oh, oh yes. It's, uh, my wife. Oh, uh, my wife said it's date night for us, so uh, you're. Uh, right. I'm dating my wife at your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, his wife didn't clarify if it was date night with somebody else or, yeah, or with him. <laughs> I'll double check before we show. <laughs> make sure you get a ticket. <laughs> Don't want to make a scene. <laughs> well. Either way, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure you have a good time. Oh, <laughs> excellent. <laughs> okay. Thank, awesome. Thank you, Tony. Thank Thanks you, a lot, Tony. Thank you so much. All right. Take care and keep yeah, going. So it's great okay. stuff. Okay. Bye. Yes. Bye. Bye. Again, thanks again, Tony. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm so glad that we figured out how to make it work. Yep. And, uh, it'll air day of, and maybe we'll get some walk-up. Yeah, we're going to get some walk-up, and we were able to... to snare some tickets and we're gonna we have a starting to build a studio audience when when we do the show so um we'll be having a few uh, giveaways to your show for people who and and people are buzzing about it so yeah. we're really excited oh good yeah i i heard that, that that they were happy with how sales were going so yep. far so that's always good yeah so. yeah it's a it's um it's a good room uh, yeah it's like 550 i believe is the capacity and oh, wow. and they're all okay. intimate seats yeah. uh, you know it's really you don't and anywhere in the theater you don't feel far away from it so it should be great okay so thanks again we really appreciate it yeah thank you tony it was wonderful yeah yeah all, all right. right thank you guys yep. knock them dead take care <laughs> see you bye, bye. Uh, if you want to hear more of that interview will it be in the podcast the entire interview will be on the podcast version um that will be available tomorrow but uh, we're going to continue that musical journey and go to our music director. <laughs> music director, huh? Terry F. Sweet. Um, and Terry, every week that you're here, we're going to talk something about music. Okay. And um, you were talking uh, about composing different music for different uh, goals. Yeah. And uh, how do you go about doing that? Well, you know, first of all, I was really struck by everything Leslie said. Oh, don't. Because don't, 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 don't. <clears throat> because don't. everything she's not going to she, be able to walk out of her. I know, her, but her head is like already. But you know, everything she said about being an author and getting publishing and all that stuff applies to music. Uh, that you know, if you'd have just changed the author to composer, I could have told the same story. Um, and I think so often a lot of it is about. Being willing to, you know, you you write something, you compose a piece of music, and you have to be willing to stand back and look at all the different pieces of it, and be honest with yourself from an objective viewpoint. Is this really working here? Uh, Henry Mancini, who's one of my musical heroes. No, yeah. you had a colleague named Henry. Yeah, that's right. I did. That's what is. That's why I named yeah. him Henry Mancini. <laughs> Um, he has a great quote uh, where he, he talks about the best composers being the best editors. He said, so don't fall in love with every note you write. Right. There's and a, yeah, it, it is so true. It is. And, you know, I, uh, when I'm working on a commercial, uh, you know, we have time constraints. It's got to be 29 seconds or 59 seconds. I can't 
come to somebody with a commercial that's 62 seconds long. Radio will cut it off that's at 60, problem. you know. Uh, so sometimes you can play with the tempo, maybe, you know, but all of a sudden it's not feeling as good as it used to because you're not at the tempo that you felt when you wrote it. Uh, but sometimes you've written some really cool little lick right in the middle uh, or leading into the chorus or whatever it is, and you need two seconds, and that really cool lick happens to be two seconds. Uh. And you just go, no, no. <laughs> and on some level, you know, that's the thing that has right. to go. Right. You know, so. But you can keep that lick or that idea and say, someday that might fit somewhere else. Yeah, that never works for Yeah, me. but it makes you feel never. better about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've ever, uh, ever had, had the opportunity to use something like that. But, you know, I think anybody that's, that's writing has to has to be willing to stand back and look at their own work objectively. Are you hearing this, Jack? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> Thank you for setting that up. You're welcome. I appreciate that. She, You're welcome. She's yeah. killed some of my best lines ever. Well, they were just hilarious. I couldn't yeah. stop laughing, but yeah. but she never laughed. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, in terms of uh, your question, yes. uh, writing music targeted for different things, I've been really struck by that lately because I've been doing a lot of different kinds of projects. Most of my work is commercial work. And when you're writing a jingle, and this kind of came back to Leslie's story about the no, nuns, I laughed. Not her again. Well, because, you know, she said, you know, I knew if I said the word God enough, the nuns would eat that up. That's a little bit like me saying, singing the client's name enough, and I know they'll eat that up. So I kind of do the same thing. You know, the only reason she brought up that religious stuff was because she's next to Johnny Angel, and she felt uh, guilty. <laughs> that wasn't really true, yes. <laughs> Uh, but you know, when you're doing a, a commercial, you're targeted. You're trying to target your your sound and your lyrics and everything toward a specific demographic. If you're talking to young females, if you're talking to a 75 year old guy that you want to buy a Mercedes, those are musically two very different things. And so, uh, and, you know, back to listening, you need to listen to what you're doing. So if, you're, if you need to write a reggae piece, you need to listen to some reggae music and figure out what they're doing, what they're playing, what kind of sounds they're using, what instruments and how their lyrics work, how their melodies work, what kind of voices they use, all that kind of stuff. And once you've immersed yourself enough in that genre, you can begin to compose something like that. Hmm. If you're, on the other hand, I've, I just finished uh, a movie score. Yeah, really? Yeah. And that is a very, very different kind of composing because for the most part there, you are not trying to capture the attention. In fact, if the viewer is noticing the music, uh, you're standing out too much. You, in that case, just need to be the emotional underbelly hmm. and kind of lead the viewer into whatever they should be feeling, if they should be anticipating something happening maybe, or uh, maybe you're trying to fool them. Where would movies yeah, yeah. be without music? Yeah. I yeah. mean, when you, I was watching something the other day, I've forgotten what it is, but I was thinking, you know, without the soundtrack, 
I wouldn't know how to feel right now. Yeah, it's so true. It's, it's, it's so you know, true. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, right? It's prepping me. It's getting me ready. It's sort of, you know, it sets a tone for the whole field. Yeah, it does. Know? And it's really amazing. I found that, you know, when they sent me the movie and it just had the, the raw dialogue, there, was, there were no sound effects, there was no music, it's shocking how dry and lifeless. It's flat. Yeah. It just feels this flat yeah. sort of, yeah. And you start putting some things in. You put in some sound effects and you go, okay, this is starting to come to life. And then you start playing some music along with it. And it's surprising how you, with with depending on the mood of the music you're putting in there, you can completely alter the, <laughs> yeah. Alter yeah. the scene. Yeah. The reason yeah. it sounded so flat, you're used to my writing. Now you're getting better. Oh, thanks. Leslie's helping. Yeah, you. yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he's back to her. Okay. Uh, any closing shots, advice, Terry, on what you're t- describing for us today? Um, I think if you're a composer, it kind of goes back to the first thing I said. Be be honest with yourself. You've got to have the confidence to stand back, look at yourself, and go, is this really working? Is this really getting me? I need to get from point A to point B. Is this really getting me there? Excellent. It's very C. (laughs) Bulldog? Speaking of commercials, to get to uh, judge the ones coming up. Excellent. And then after that, we finally get to the folks in flannel today, also known as the flannel folk, (laughs) which we're very much looking forward to. So uh, hang on through these commercials, and we'll be right back. We've all been, since we got here today, with all the folks in flannel, we've been waiting with bated breath to hear what the heck are these guys going to do. So without further ado, here's a song from the Flannel Folk. I can't tell which one, but I know when it starts. Tell me I'm too young to understand. Say I'm caught up in a dream. Life will pass me by if I don't open up my eyes. So that's fine by me. So wake me up when it's all over. And I Oh, 
Fantastic. Wow. That was the flannel folk. Okay, we need a, a folk spokesperson. A folksperson to be a spokesperson. Who's that going to be? That's going to be me. Okay, and you are? I am Wyatt Yesterson. Okay, and could you introduce your, it's not band, huh? yeah. your group mates? Our, our a cappella group. We are the flannel folk. Uh, we are a group of primarily high schoolers who go to uh, Stadenberg High School, with the one exception of uh, our friend here, John, who is a college student at MSOE. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, a few years back, uh, two of us got together, and, and we, we kind of just got the idea to, to start an a cappella group. And over the years, it, it has developed into a, a group that has gone around Cedarburg, around Grafton, around the whole community, and uh, performed for a variety of different events. And... Uh, we just like to, to come together, have fun, and sing some music. Excellent. I picture you in the high school hallway, and all of a sudden someone starts humming, and the rest of you go, hmm, oh, it's hey, let's, let's start. Let's, sing, let's see if we can sing together. Okay, great. Um, we have time for one more song, and what will it be? So this will be a, uh, a pentatonic song called Run to You.
We just found your missing sound effects for your music score. <laughs> Fantastic! Thank you guys very much for joining us. That was that was really a lot of fun and really great, and just great to see the the passion in your voice and the, and uh, the sound effect stuff is so cool. Not, and the, uh, beautiful voices too. That, that wasn't bad either. But thank you very much. Yes, great keep, job. Keep, keep wow. singing. Keep singing. Great job. That's well, that's how you end a show. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I got, I got nothing. <laughs> there's not much I can do. Let me just take care of a little bit of business. Thank you, as always, to Scott Roush, master of the Behringer board. And thank you to Behringer for supplying the board. Yeah. Uh, Linda Purcell, Linda Di- Library Director, Suck David up. Nimmer. Uh, yes, I know, I know. David Nimmer, Assistant Director. Their names are Brown on my paycheck. Brown I got to say these things. Brown so uh, knows, there we go. Knows. Yeah, thank you. Uh, friends of the Library, uh, Cedarburg Public Library, CPL Library Board. Our studio audience was wonderful. Thank you yes. for coming today. Mr. Applause. Dean. Marco, Mark Nielsen, make sure you turn in Saturday night to Let the Good Times Roll. And uh, to Jack Anke, we have one more bit of business, folks. I forgot this This is critical, and I don't know if the final folk are still kind of available. It is Jack Henke, our esteemed host's birthday today. I thought we could all sing him out with a happy birthday. I don't, I don't know if we name any singers available. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I know. So, guys, Uh-oh. and a one, uh, and a two, uh, let's go. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Jack. <laughs> Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. Heavenly. Heavenly. Wow. Thanks very much. Come on back next week, folks. We'll be here, too, as far as I know. Thank you, everybody. Take care. Have a good week. Out. You've reached the Jack Henke Show. 
Cedarburg's finest offering of lunchtime infotainment. Please leave your message after the beep. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is Eddie Bruski from, uh, from, from, uh, Newburgh. So, listen and so, we, uh, I, I, uh, I'm on the dang phone. I made the phone. Jeez, Joyce, what are you thinking? Yeah, from uh, Newburgh. Yeah. So I got a guy who comes to the door and he's like, hey. And I was like, hey, right back at you, don't you know? And he's got, you know, he's got, uh, he's got, uh, yeah, he's got, uh, like, uh, like, like uh, this whole, like, uh, tie. You know, this, uh, like, uh, whole necktie thing going on, so I'm like, yeah, okay, yeah, so, uh, he says he's from this Rachel show, on the ratio, and we don't get much ratio here in Newburgh, I think I heard like, uh, like, uh, like a, you know, like that, uh, Machi Crew, you know, the crazy long hair music stuff, and I turned out for, I just tuned out uh, for good, yeah. But the uh, guy with the tie says uh, he's from the, uh, the, uh, the Jack Shanky show or something like that, yeah, it's Jack, Jack Shanky. And his Jack Jack Shanky will pay me to like uh tune in so uh so so I tuned in. So yeah, I was just uh wondering uh, when I can get my two dollars cause uh you know Yeah, they got perch up at the Kiwanis, you know, and uh it would you know Work out pretty down, pretty, pretty darn good there, you know. And so, so yeah. Let me know again. This is uh, yeah, Eddie Bruski from uh, from yeah, from uh, from uh, Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.